If you'd remain standing and reach for your Bible, we'll be reading today's passage that Pastor Bruce will be speaking on. Today we'll be in Luke chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through verse 11. Uh, Today, Pastor Bruce will be speaking on an altered encounter. Once again, a frustrated fisherman meets with Jesus. If you're in need of a pew Bible, there should be one in front of you, and you can find it on the page listed above. But follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Apologies. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let out, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they had enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, sing praises to you, God, bring glory and honor to you through the worship. I also pray that we would continue our worship as we listen to Pastor Bruce speak and how you changed people's lives and you continue to do this day. I pray that you would have our hearts be open so that we may listen to what you have to speak to us today. In your name, amen. Well, how many of you enjoy a good fishing story? That is what we have here in this encounter with Jesus is a fishing story, but it's not the kind of fishing story that we typically hear fishermen tell. You know, the kind where they say, oh man, you should have seen the fish I caught. It was this big. And each time they tell the story. The fish seems to get bigger, and uh, we never seem to ever see the fish, and you get the idea here. The fish is always gone. Nobody's there to see it. The fish gets bigger and bigger each time the story is told. But there are exceptions to those kind of fishing stories. For example, like the story coming up on the screen behind me, when Reagan Warner went deep sea fishing with her brother, her mother, and stepfather near Marco Island, Florida, on March 31st of 2020, and they hooked, or I should say she hooked, a world record-breaking Goliath grouper. The fish, which had been caught and released before, had the nickname, My Lord. 
Because as Warner's stepfather, Paul Hartman, said, each time it showed up, all anyone could say is, my Lord, that's a big fish. The fish was 83 inches long with a 75-inch girth and a calculated weight of 583 pounds, the largest grouper ever caught by a female angler. I was like in shock pretty much, said the petite 16-year-old. My biggest fish before was a salmon. I was like, oh, wow, I want to catch another one. These things have amazing power, Hartman said. A 115-pound girl catching a fish like that is beyond explanation just with the laws of physics. The battle lasted about 15 minutes as Warner fought to bring it closer to the boat. And once there, it was measured, photographed, and released, drenching the family as it splashed back into the ocean. She had the greatest day ever, her dad said, who was so proud but also, well, a little bit jealous since his biggest grouper was only 470 pounds. She's got all the luck in the world, her dad said. Well, the fishermen in this particular encounter had no such luck. After fishing all night, he's caught absolutely nothing, and so he's tired, he's disappointed, and most of all, he is frustrated. But that's when he encounters Jesus Christ. Who is this frustrated fisherman? It is none other than Simon, or as we might know him, as Peter. And he encounters Jesus when he taught from his fishing boat. Now, Simon Peter was a fisherman. It's what he did. It's what his family did. It was the family business, and so fishing was Peter's lot in life. Peter lived right next to the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And so Peter didn't have to think or pray about what he was going to do each day he woke up. Listen, he knew exactly what his day would hold when he woke up in the morning. In fact, it was in the morning after a night of fishing that he would wash his nets and he would get ready for another night of fishing out on the Sea of Galilee. This is what he did day after day after day. But this kind of fishing is hard work. In fact, it's one thing to fish on the weekends for fun. It's something else to fish every day for a living, like Peter. And so here it is. It's in the morning, and Peter and the other fishermen, they are tired on this particular morning. They are disappointed, and they are frustrated and probably in a foul mood after fishing all night and catching nothing And we know this from what Peter says himself later on in verse 5. Fishermen often like to say, your worst day of fishing is better than your best day at work. But I'm not sure Peter would have agreed with that sentiment at this moment. And that's when Peter encounters Jesus. And this encounter will start a radical change in his life. We pick up this encounter in verses 1 through 2. Notice it again, what it says here. Look in your Bibles as Luke tells the story. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so here... The setting of this encounter is Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, 
and he is teaching the word of God to the crowds. And the people are pressing in on Jesus just to hang on every word he speaks. But what's interesting is to notice who is not hanging on Jesus' words here. And that's Peter. At this particular moment right now, Peter seems a little disinterested. It's not that he so much doesn't care about what Jesus is saying, but at the moment, he is much more interested in what he's doing. He's got a to-do list in front of him. He's got to wash his fishing nets. And so he's unwilling right now to say, okay, the nets can wait because I want to hear what Jesus has to say. Now, my guess is we can relate to Peter right here. It's easy for all of us here this morning to become a little preoccupied with our own lives and become much more interested in our own plans. And that's exactly where Peter was when he encountered Jesus. Listen, he's like all of us here. He just pretty much wants to live a normal life. He just wants to get his job done, and he wants to just go home at the end of the day. After all, he's got a family. He's got a job. He's got a life. And Jesus is about ready to turn it upside down as he hijacks his boat here in verse 3. Notice what it says. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, just picture this in your mind for a moment. Picture Jesus sitting in Peter's boat, and he's teaching the people who are longing to hear what he has to say. And even though Peter is in the boat, even though Peter rows the boat out from the shore, I think Peter all the while is kind of saying under his breath, I cannot believe, Jesus, you're asking me to do this after a night of fishing. Especially a night when I have caught nothing. I'm washing my nets. Can you not see that? I'm busy. I'm ready to go home. I'm tired, and I just want to sleep, and you want me to turn my boat into a floating pulpit. Are you serious, Lord? And perhaps one reason Peter reluctantly agrees to let Jesus use his boat is because if you read back in chapter 4 here of Luke, Jesus has just healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so perhaps Peter thinks to himself, well, I kind of owe Jesus one here now. I need to let him use my boat. Whatever the reason may be, what happens next, though, in this encounter will forever change Peter's life. Through a divine miracle of Jesus himself, Peter catches more fish than he can count. So many fish that his nets are breaking and his boat is sinking. And so what we're going to see through this encounter is this. Peter moves from frustration. He moves from being a frustrated fisherman to a very fulfilled fisherman. He moves from disappointment to astonishment as a result of his willingness to do two things. His willingness to obey Jesus Christ and then to follow Jesus Christ. Now, make no mistake about it, nothing in this encounter happens by chance. Everything in this encounter is meant to move not just Peter, but us here this morning, it is meant to move us from frustrated to fulfilled, from disappointed to astonished, as we ourselves obey Jesus and ultimately follow him as the Lord of our lives. 
Now, to accomplish this, Jesus challenges us, and then he calls us. He first challenges us to obey him, and then he calls us to follow him, just as he does in this encounter with Peter. So let's unpack it a little bit here for the next few minutes. Notice number one, Jesus challenges us to obey him, even when it makes no sense. Even when it doesn't make any sense. Jesus and Peter are still in the boat when Luke writes in verse 4. Notice what he says. And when he had finished speaking, he, that is Jesus, said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now again, Peter is probably thinking, oh great, a rabbi telling a professional fisherman how to fish. Go figure. Now you just, you can almost feel the offense here that Peter must have felt with Jesus telling Peter how to do his job. Jesus tells Peter to put out into the deep, and it's probably at least later in the morning, if not midday. Now talk to any fisherman who has fished on the Sea of Galilee in particular, and they will tell you that putting out into deep waters in the middle of the day, it is not the way you fish, especially if you want to catch fish. And so what Jesus asked Peter to do, listen, it contradicted everything that Peter knows. It contradicted his experience. It contradicted his knowledge. It contradicted his history. It contradicted his training as a professional fisherman. It contradicted his basic instincts of what he knew best when it came to fishing. Not only that, but it's also interesting that Jesus tells Peter not just to put out into the deep, but he tells Peter to let down your nets for a catch. Now again, what did Peter just finish doing with those nets? He just finished washing them. And so Jesus is really pushing the issue here with Peter. And again, you have to sense the weight of all this. Because if we're going to sense the weight of Jesus' invitation, we've got to sense the weight of Peter's frustration as well. Peter just finished washing this nets. Listen, he's been up all night. He is tired. He is exhausted. He is at the end of his rope. But Jesus says to him, let down your nets for a catch. And so Jesus' invitation comes with a promise. But Peter's focused on the invitation because it's a huge inconvenience to him. So how does Peter respond to Jesus when it makes no sense to him, when it's illogical to him, when it's an inconvenience to him? Well, Luke tells us in verse 5, look at it with me. And Simon answered, Master, listen, we toiled all night and took nothing. And so right there in that one response, in that one phrase, sentence there, Peter is reminding Jesus, come on, Lord. We, we're the fishermen here. We know how to do our job. Why are you telling me to do this? This doesn't make any sense. This is illogical and it's inconvenient. And yet, at the same time, What's happening here, because Jesus is very intentional, he's very purposeful, he knows what he's doing, he is stripping away from Peter his self-confidence and his self-sufficiency. You see, the reality was, Peter fished all night, and what was the result? 
He caught absolutely nothing. Nothing. And so in his brokenness now, Peter responds in verse 5, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now the CBS translation says it this way, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now, just stop there and hang on those five words. But if you say so. Because those five words changed Peter's life. But if you say so. Listen, Peter didn't agree with what Jesus was telling him. Peter didn't like what Jesus was telling him. Listen, Peter had some major doubts about what Jesus was telling him. Some major doubts that this was even going to work, that it was going to make a difference in catching any fish. And so Peter just washed these nets, and now he's going to have to wash them again. And so it's going to impact his life. It's going to cost him time. It's going to cost him sleep. It's going to cost him energy. And Peter's fishing buddies are probably, more than likely, standing on the seashore wondering what in the world is he doing out in the middle of the lake. Has he lost his mind? He's crazy for throwing his nets out in such deep water in the middle of the day. But, but if you say so, Lord, but if you say so, Listen, five words there that forever changed the course of Peter's life. And they are the same five words that could change the course of your life as well. But if you say so. Now, please understand, this is this here, this is not a moment of clarity for Peter. It's not like all the dots connected for him. It's not like the lights went off for him. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden he understands everything that Jesus is doing in his life. Or asking him to do even. This is not a moment of clarity for Peter yet. Rather, this is a step of faith for Peter. This isn't, well, Lord, if you say so, Jesus, because... After all, now I see, now I believe that there's a massive amount of fish just ready to be caught underneath my boat. In fact, we might even say this is reluctant obedience on behalf of Peter. And yet, and yet, it is a step of faith by Peter that changes the course of his life and it could change yours as well. As one pastor put it, the life that, that we so long to live is found in the obedience that God calls us to give to him. Think about it. If Peter says no at this moment, we probably never read about this story. We probably never read about his story throughout the Gospels. He probably never becomes one of Jesus' core disciples. And if Peter says no, he never experiences the catch of his life. Instead, he walks away more frustrated than ever. Now, the challenge to obey Jesus, especially when that challenge makes no sense, when it's inconvenient, when it's illogical. It's just as real for us today as it was for Peter. So what's your response when 
Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And what's your response when Jesus says in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. What's your response when Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What's your response when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 and 44, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What's your response when it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What's your response when Jesus says in Mark 9.35, if anyone desires to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Is your response to all that Jesus is asking us to do in those passages, is it to Jesus, Jesus, you're crazy, look. Are you serious? That's what you want me to do? Because, Lord, I don't know if you understand the culture I live in. But that doesn't work in the culture I live in. Or is your response, Lord, I don't understand it all. It doesn't make sense to me, everything about it. But if you say so. You see, more than ever, we live in a culture now where, where we need to embrace the wisdom of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean unto your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Listen, this is the journey that Peter is on in his encounter with Jesus Christ here. He takes a step of faith and that step of faith leads to what happens next in the story. Notice it. First of all, obedience leads us to this place of experiencing God's power and blessing. Notice how the encounter continues in verse 6. It says, and when they had done this, done what? Done what Jesus was asking and telling Peter to do, to put out into the deep and to put down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Now, in this particular story or in this encounter, you need to follow the nets. The nets here in this encounter are central to Peter's encounter with Jesus. Because the first thing Peter's doing with his nets is what? He's washing them. And then he lets down the nets, and he does so reluctantly. But now he brings in the nets, and they are breaking. And Peter's like... Thanks a lot, Lord. These were perfectly good nets before you blessed me with a catch of a lifetime. (laughs) They're breaking because of so much fish. And this is the way Jesus often works in our life. His blessings tend to wreck our lives, but for the good. And so Peter does what any of us would do. According to verse 7, notice it. Peter and some of his fishing buddies, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, this step of obedience, 
Listen, I don't know what that looks like specifically for you. But I know this. I know Jesus is challenging us to obey him even when it doesn't make any sense. As one pastor said, if we are unwilling to do the ridiculous, we will never see the miraculous. In other words, if we are unwilling to to let down the nets after we have washed them, we will forfeit the opportunity to ever experience a catch of a lifetime. You see, but if you say so, those five words, listen, that positions you for the unexpected power and blessings of the Lord. As Peter Kreef says, thy will be done, which is the same thing as saying, but if you say so, Lord, is the infallible road to total joy in the Lord. Oh, that we would become, here this morning, we would become a church full of but if you say so people, but it, the if the if you say so life, listen, that is what God longs for every single one of us here. So take a step of faith here this morning. Listen, obedience positions you to experience something that you can never imagine in your life. It positions you to experience the power and blessings in your life. Second of all, the second result here, notice obedience leads us to a place of recognizing our sinfulness and unworthiness. We see this in verse 8. Notice what it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, saw what? He saw this, this huge catch of fish that are in his nets. His nets are now breaking. The boats are now sinking. And when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, that's the kind of confession that we don't, don't often hear today. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In fact, those of you who know the life of Peter, you know what he's like. We kind of sort of expect him to start bragging about this catch of fish to his fishing buddies. Hey, look at all these fish. Man, we are the greatest fishermen in the world. Let's take a pic and post it on social media. But instead, Peter is overwhelmed by the enormous catch of fish. It says in verses 9 through 10, for he and all who were with him were what? Astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now, this word astonished, it actually means to be terrified. And so for the first time in Peter's life, he recognizes that Jesus is not some ordinary man. He is the Son of God. And he recognizes who he is. He is a sinful man. And it's the same effect that being in the presence of God had on the prophet Isaiah when he saw the Lord in a vision. Isaiah immediately cried out in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Listen, whenever we see God clearly, we start to see ourselves accurately. And it leads us to this place of, woe is me. I am not worthy to stand in your presence, Lord. 
this recognition of, of who Jesus is and who we are. Listen, it is crucial to genuine repentance and a life of obedience. Repentance is, is turning from a life of sin. It's stepping into a life that God calls us to. And it always, 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 always begins with an awareness of who God is and who we are. God is holy. We are not. Think of it this way. If you never see Jesus clearly, you will never obey Jesus fully. And so Jesus challenges us to obey him even when it makes no sense. And then number two, Jesus calls us to follow him even when it may cost us everything. Now Peter is overwhelmed at this point in the story. Oh, he is overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed by Jesus' holiness. He is overwhelmed by his own sinfulness. And so the first words out of his mouth is simply this, depart from me. Depart from me, Lord. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. That's how overwhelmed he is by the holiness of God and the sinfulness of himself. And I'm so grateful here in this encounter that Jesus' response to Peter is not, yes, you're right, Peter, get away from me. You're right. You are too sinful. I can't use you. Listen, Jesus already knows the truth about Peter. What matters in this encounter, and what matters for us here this morning, is that Peter knows the truth about himself. And we need to come to that place in our own lives where we know the truth about ourselves, that we are sinful in the presence of a holy Jesus. And so with his pride now stripped away, he is a broken man. Peter is now ready to fully follow Jesus. Here's the thing, though. I think sometimes we often think that because of our sinfulness, because of our past, God doesn't want us. But can I just say to you, recognizing our sinfulness is not a disqualifier for following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. And so, listen, God is not looking at you. He's not looking at your past and your sinfulness and your sins in your past and your failures in your past. And, and he, he's, he's not saying, sorry, because of your past, you're disqualified for following me. I can't use you. Listen, that's not our God. He knows all about your past, and he calls you to follow him anyway. And so coming to this place in our lives of woe is me, I am unworthy. Listen, it is essential for following Jesus. In fact, that's why Jesus takes Peter out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's where Jesus takes him. And that's where Peter recognizes his sinfulness in God's holiness. But what's interesting here is Peter expects condemnation from Jesus. But instead, he gets, and this is beautiful, he gets grace. When Jesus says to him in verse 10, do not be afraid, Peter. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Remember, when we turn to the Lord in repentance of our sin, 
we do not get condemnation. We get grace and we get forgiveness and we get a call to follow him fully. By trade, Peter was a fisherman. And probably a very good fisherman. Peter was probably exceptional at his job. But now Jesus calls Peter to a a much greater purpose in life, catching men with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how does Peter respond to all this? How does he respond to Jesus' amazing grace and call to follow him? Well, look what it says in verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Again, don't miss the fishing nets in this encounter. The fishing nets are significant. The fishing nets here are are key to understanding the change in Peter's life. If you go back to the beginning of the story, Peter is first washing the nets. And then he's letting down the nets in the water. And then he's pulling them up into the boat. and, And they're breaking because of the amount of fish that's been caught. But now what is Peter doing with his nets? He is leaving them behind in order to follow Jesus. And if you're wondering why that is such a big deal, here is why that is a significant deal. That is a huge, life-changing deal. It's because of this right here. Notice it in your notes. Because Peter's fishing nets represent everything regarding his life. Listen, those fishing nets are his identity in life. Those fishing nets are his security in life. But now he is leaving them all behind to follow Jesus. This is one of the most dramatic moments in this whole encounter. Because prior to this encounter, Peter had listened to Jesus teach. Peter had watched Jesus perform miracles. This is not the first time Peter's encountered Jesus. In fact, some Bible scholars say that Peter has probably known Jesus by now for a year. He has seen Jesus perform miracles. In fact, he just seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law, a divine miracle of healing. Jesus has heard the teachings of Jesus Christ before, or Peter has heard them. This is not the first time. And so in a way, Peter even started probably to follow Jesus a little bit prior to this, but he had not yet come to that point in his life of following Jesus fully with his whole life. He was still hanging on to parts of it. But then came this personal encounter with Jesus that forever changed his life. Here on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus challenged Peter to obey him even when it didn't make any sense. And then Jesus called Peter to follow him, even when it may cost him everything. And when Jesus called, what did Peter do? He left everything behind. With complete abandon, Peter left his boat, he left his fishing nets on the shore, and in doing so, listen, Peter left behind everything to follow Jesus. He left behind his career ambitions. He left behind his dreams. He left behind his identity as a fisherman. He left behind his security of living the way he had always lived. There's there's a little bit of comfort in that, security in that. 
And most of all, he left behind of holding on to his right to call the shots in his life. And so here's the question from this encounter for us here this morning. What fishing nets do you need to leave behind in order to fully follow Jesus? Yes, following Jesus means leaving our fishing nets. It means laying down our identity. It means leaving behind our security in ourselves and trusting Jesus with our lives. Now, at the same time, please hear me, following Jesus doesn't always mean following Jesus someplace different than where you are right now or even doing something different than what you're doing right now. Following Jesus for you may mean, it could mean staying exactly where you are and doing exactly what you've been doing career-wise, job-wise, except now you're doing it with a greater mission, with, with purpose. That is Jesus' purpose in life of catching men for Jesus and knowing that Jesus is with you every step of the way. But at the same time, make no mistake about it, Peter's life from this moment on is definitely different. It is forever changed. And it all started with Peter saying to Jesus, but if you say so. But if you say so. But if you say so. And so again, here's the question. What fishiness do you need to leave behind to fully follow Jesus? Or to ask it a different way, what fishing nets are you hanging on to that's keeping you from fully following Jesus? Jesus, through this encounter with Peter, he is challenging us here even today to obey him even when it makes no sense. And he calls us to follow him even when it may cost us everything. And it all hinges, it all turns and pivots on our willingness to say to Jesus, but if you say so. You know what's so awesome about this encounter? Is that Jesus never asked Peter, he never asked us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. Jesus himself is... is, precisely in Peter's life, engaging Peter at this very moment of his life because he himself is a, but if you say so, Savior. Because that's exactly what he had to say to his heavenly father. It's why he left heaven and came to earth. In fact, you fast forward in the life of Christ to the night before Jesus is crucified. And once again, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is pleading with the Father in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know what Jesus is saying to the Father? But if you say so. But if you say so, Lord. But if you say so, I will obey you even to the cross. And so, listen, we follow 
a but if you say so Savior, and he invites us now to be his but if you say so followers. On that same night, it's interesting, Jesus sat in the upper room with his disciples. And they're having the last Passover meal on the night before Jesus is betrayed, the night before he goes into the trials with Pilate and Caiaphas, and then ultimately crucified on the cross. And in that last Passover meal, as you know, he turns it into what we now know as the Last Supper that he instituted for us as the church to participate in. And as Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples, he says to them in Matthew 26, he says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, do you realize that never happens if Jesus himself is not a but if you say so Savior? That's the kind of Jesus we follow, and now he is calling us to be but if you say so followers. And for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been coming to the Lord's table to remind themselves that this is the kind of Savior we follow. But if you say so, Savior, the one who purchased our redemption with his death on the cross, he stood in our place because we were sinful. We were not sinless, and so only he could die on the cross in our place. So as we come here to the Lord's table, let me encourage you with eyes afresh to see the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to pay your sin debt with his death on the cross. And in that process, to give thanks to Jesus for his love and sacrifice for you. And then to renew your commitment to follow Jesus. Let me encourage you to, as you participate, as you come and you take the bread and the juice and you take it back to your seat that you bow your head in a moment of quietness and you offer a prayer of thanksgiving, you offer a prayer of surrender to Jesus Christ, something like this, Lord, I want to live as a but-if-you-say-so follower. But Lord, I can't do it by myself. I can't do it on my own. I need your grace. I need your power and help. Lord, my life is yours. Wherever you lead, whatever you ask, I will follow Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he accomplished on the cross for us. For it's only in him that we find grace and forgiveness and fulfillment in life, true satisfaction. Thank you for saving us. Give us the grace to obey even when it doesn't make sense and to follow you even when it may cost us everything. And Lord, let us be a church here at LifeBridge, a church full of people who are, but if you say so, followers. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you are here this morning and 
you have confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord by trusting Him for your salvation. And you identify with Him in baptism and you are committed to His body and membership of a local church, then, then we invite you here at LifeBridge to participate in communion. Maybe you're here, you're a guest of ours, or you're not a believer, not a member of a, of a local church of like faith and practice. And listen, we, we invite you to, to watch and see what happens, knowing that we hear others when we participate. We are reminding ourselves of the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ that was given to us with his death and resurrection. The bread and juice represent the body and blood of Jesus when he died on the cross, and it represents who our Lord is and what he has done for us, is still doing for us, and yet will do for us when he returns. And so Zach's here at the piano. He's going to begin to play here in just a moment, and when the music begins to play, we invite you, you're encouraged, to just stand up from wherever you're seating. You don't have to do it all at once. You can wait till maybe the lines die down a little bit, and you can come to one of these four places in the auditorium, and you can grab the juice and the bread. 